0: Good morning. So, so today we're going to continue this series, thankful uh, hearts of gratitude, and, and we're going to be looking at you know seeking this contentment in our life and seeking it through Christ. And, and as I was looking at today's scripture, just give you a heads up: we're going to be in Philippians chapter four. But as I was looking through the scripture, I realized that part of the scripture many of us may use as a life verse. Or many of us use as motivation when, when times are getting tough or we're going to be going through something. We use part of today's scripture as that motivation or the strength from within us. And I realized as I was looking at it that I remember looking at a Sports Illustrated issue back in the day, and Tim Tebow had this scripture written under his eyes. And I remember looking at it and I thought, got to thinking, Man, imagine what these people looking across from him, seeing Philippians 4.13 on the bottom of his eyes, knowing that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And they're looking at him going, man, he's got God on his side. What am I going to do against him? And he had an amazing college career. And he led the Florida Gators to two national championships, which, you know, I'm not a Gator fan, so. Uh, But he did, led them to two. He's the first sophomore ever to win the Heisman Trophy. He's got numerous personal school and even NCAA records to his name. Uh, While he was in school at the University of Florida, he had the single game quarterback rushing record, uh, yards of 166 yards in a game. Uh, He had the Southeast Conference season rushing record with 20 in one season, 57 all of his career. He had a single game a high rushing game for touchdowns. At the time, it was five. He held the record in the Southeast Conference for the most touchdowns via either passing or rushing. And as I said, he won the Heisman Trophy, won the Davey O'Brien Award, Maxwell, all of these different awards. And when his college career was done, he actually held five NCAA records, 14 Southeast Conference records, and 28 records at the University of Florida. So, so as you look at his life and you're looking at, man, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And you look at his college career, you know he had to be up here. Man, I can do everything. Then he got drafted by the Denver Broncos. And while at the Denver Broncos, he really didn't play, you know, the whole time. And, and his whole highlight reel for the Denver Broncos was... In a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they went to overtime, and on the first play of overtime, he threw an 80-yard bomb for a touchdown to win the game. That was his highlight of the whole in his NFL, and then from there, you know, the, the Denver Broncos brought in this guy named Peyton Manning. So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, Tim, we don't need you anymore. We got Peyton Manning, this Hall of Fame quarterback, and they shipped him off to the Jets. And I know we're in South Florida, so there's no Jets fans in the house. <laughs> so then he ends up with the Jets, and, and the following year after having this all of this go on, he only threw eight passes as a New York Jet. And then he eventually got traded to the New England Patriots, who, of course, at the time had Tom Brady as a quarterback. So kind of like you look, you can look and say, hey, you know, I got replaced by Peyton Manning, and I'm getting not gonna play because of Tom Brady, and you may think, hey, this is still pretty good. But it turns out before the regular season ever started, he got cut from the New England Patriots and his professional career was over. So now I say all this to ask a question. Do you think he was still content? Do you think he was still believing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when he went from being here in college to being here in the NFL? And what about you? How many times are you on that mountaintop, everything's going great, or or put yourself in that, you're making all these strides in your life, everything's going well, and then all of a sudden you're down here? Are you content? It's so easy to be content when we're up here and everything's going well, but but when things start going wrong and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, all this fear may come up of, oh, my God, I, I can't do it. This is what I've dreamed about my whole life, and I can't do it anymore. So that fear starts coming up inside, and instead of being content, in many cases, what do we end up? We end up discontent. We end up, oh, my God, I can't believe this, and we allow fear to get inside of us and cause us to become discontent with what's going on in our life. And that's actually what we're going to be looking at today as we dig into God's Word. And what I, what we all need to understand is that discontentment can often arise out of fear. It can come from that fear that's built up inside of us. But the antidote to that fear is knowing that God will supply everything we need. God will supply everything we need. And, and we truly need to understand that not only understand it, But we need to believe that God supplies everything that we need. He will supply everything that we need when it is in his time. Not our time. Because sometimes we want it now and God says, wait, you're not ready for it yet? But he will supply it in his time. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is... uh, One in the back of the pew, but as always, it'll be up here on the screen. So let's go ahead and dig in and and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about being content. So it says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in, in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content In whatever circumstances I find myself, I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today and we look at this whole being content, Lord, I ask that you open our eyes that we can actually see where we may be, <clears throat> where we may be failing at being content. Where we allow discontentment to come up in our lives. And Lord, allow us to see what you want us to do. And Lord, may my words be your words and may your name be glorified when we make this prayer in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, as I was looking through and preparing for this sermon, I came across this survey that took place back in 2013. And the survey was done in the United Kingdom. And what they did is they surveyed kids <clears throat> of parents who, <clears throat> who made over 100,000. British pounds. So so they were considered wealthy at the time. And and the study actually found some stuff that was surprising. Research found that the kids had eating disorders, drug abuse, neurosis, and self-harming was soaring among all these teenagers of these wealthy people in the UK. And, And you know, it doesn't make sense because doesn't it say you can buy happiness? You know, if, if I got money, I can buy it. And if I don't have it, I can go get it because I've got money. Isn't, isn't that the way, you know, the world says it should work? But here you see these kids from this wealthy family, from wealthy families, and they were having all these problems, which kind of showed that even in a wealthy environment, they weren't happy. The kids weren't happy. They still had all these things going on. And research actually believes that the reason the kids were doing self-harm drug abuse, and everything else was from the pressure put on them by their parents. So it actually had nothing to do with the wealth itself. It had to do with the pressure from the parents. But, but, but as unfortunately many of us know, we put pressure on our kids. Sometimes we put undue pressure on our kids because we want them to strive to be more. You know, and there's really nothing wrong with, you know, doing that. But remember, it's always the kids' goals, not our goals. You know, it's great to be able to live vicariously through our kids. I remember when my son was playing high school football and I was a little older and couldn't move like I used to. I enjoyed coaching it, but I was like, man, I'm glad I don't have to play it anymore. You know, but I could live through him watching him out there playing football and kind of be like, that is awesome. And it kind of broke my heart when he decided not to go to and play college ball. I think I was hurt more than he was hurt. But then it was that realization that was something that I wanted for him, not what he wanted for himself. And unfortunately, we can do that in, to our kids all the time. We can put undue pressure on them that don't need to be put on them. And, and you even look at, at the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. He came from an elite family. He came from the upper class. He was very well known. And I'm sure his parents put a lot of pressure on him as well. And even coming from that elite class, we know from reading the Bible that he put it all to the side. He put it all to the side because of the joy that he found in Christ. And as he wrote this letter, he, he actually talks about how he's content. And in verses, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, just to give you an idea who the Apostle Paul was, he says this, "...although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church." Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless, but everything that I was that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. The apostle Paul could brag; he was from a family that lived by the Torah. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, made to be uh, in, in part of the Levitical priesthood, part of. Being a Pharisee, he, he was the man. He was I was out there persecuting churches, man. They were going away from our Jewish religion. I was chasing them down because of the way. He had all of this going on in his life at the top of his game and consumed it all a loss. Think about it in, in Jewish tradition. When the Apostle Paul actually met Jesus on the Damascus Highway and became a Christian, would have been disowned by his family. So all of that rank, all that file, everything that he had in his life was gone. And he said it was all a gain because of Christ. He, he was fine with losing everything that he had. It, it didn't matter to him. We even know that Paul was a Roman citizen, which you think about that. Having Roman citizenship back in biblical times was huge because it gave him even more power. And to become a Roman citizen, there were basically like five different ways to do it. One, you had to have a Roman father. The other was to be a citizen in a Roman colony or be a retired soldier from the auxiliary army. The other way, being part of the upper class. Being an upper class person that was in good with Rome, of course, because they were in good with Rome, it's because they were paying Rome money so they were able to buy that citizenship and the the one of the most common ways besides actually being born into or being living in a colony was actually when a slave of a roman citizen was freed from the slavery from their from their master they were then given citizenship so the apostle paul we know had citizenship in as a roman citizen we know he was well educated when you when you actually look at the Greek that the Apostle Paul wrote in, it is very high-level Greek. We also know that he was trained under, the, under Gamaliel, who was one of the top uh, Pharisees in the time and, and throughout history. So you know he had great education on top of it. He had all of these things going for them. He was a tradesman. He was a tent maker. But man, when he encountered Jesus... Things changed. It actually says this in Philippians 3, verse 8 Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It wasn't a status, it wasn't an accomplishment. All of that stuff, now that he met Jesus in the eyes of the Apostle Paul, was trash. Think about that. Can can you honestly look at your life and say, everything that I've accomplished in my life, everything that I've gained, is nothing but trash because of Jesus? That's what the Apostle Paul did. None of it mattered. It didn't matter if you had the new S Class or Mercedes, it didn't matter if you had the biggest house in the neighborhood. It didn't matter what was going on. Having Christ was bigger than any of that, than any worldly possession that you could have. He basically said all of that is trash compared to knowing Jesus. How about your life? What in your life is trash that you value so much? Because we all value way too many things, and we need to understand that that. You know, are we valuing our job? Are we valuing our possessions? What are we valuing? And then the bigger question is, do they have a hold of you or are you holding on to them? Because in many cases, we may think we possess something, but in reality, it actually possesses us, whether it's our job, whether it's our finances, whatever it may be, you know, as we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, our possessions are actually in possession of us instead of us being in possession of them. And so you got to look at that life and say, you know, why am I letting trash or rubbish rule my life? Why am I getting anxious about something that does not matter? Why am I so worried about this when Guess what? It has no saving power in my life whatsoever. But we will worry about a scratch in our car. We will worry about little things that make zero sense whatsoever, and then we'll turn around and we'll put Jesus on the back burner because we're worried about everything else. Here the apostle Paul, elite of the elite, says all of that is trash. And if all of that is trash, why do we hold on to it so tightly? We, we need to be able to let go and let God take control over our lives and, and understand that what we have here on earth, we ain't taking with us. It ain't going with us. You're not going to take it in the grave with you. You know, so may, oh, you want to take it all with you here? Let me write you a check. I'll put it in the ground with you. It ain't like it's going with you. No, it's rubbish. It's trash. It's going to go away. And understand, Paul's not telling us that we need to settle for less. He's not telling us that. He's just telling us that we don't need to let less, or we don't need to let what we have possess what we do. The power over our life should come from Jesus. It shouldn't come over what we do. And I'm I'm one, I love my accomplishments. They don't mean anything in the big realm of things. But it's rather satisfying when, when you know, currently I'm working on a a degree to be a crisis intervention counselor and i'm jamming through these classes and every time i get a certificate and i put it on the wall in my office i'm like man that's awesome and then i get to thinking well it's awesome but what good is it going to do me in the end none exactly now it may do me some good here and i might be able to lead some people to jesus and help them through a crisis situation that he can use it for his glory But when I start hanging my hat on this is what I am on letters behind my name, it means nothing. All of that is rubbish when it comes to Jesus. Now if I use it to glorify him, that's a different story. But how many times do we actually use it to glorify him? Most of the time it's so we can get a bigger paycheck. So we can add initials next to our name. So we can do this or do that and so we can look like we're here When in reality, many of us may look like we're here on the outside, but inside we're down here someplace. We're in here struggling because we're trying to, we're so anxious about what's going on in this world. The Apostle Paul said, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain gain Christ. Don't allow what you have to be your identity because way too many people get caught up on your stuff is your identity, what you do in life is your identity, your identity is found in Jesus Christ it's not found in what you do, it's found in what's inside of you so don't get so caught up on everything in this world, because remember in a moment it can be gone and the Apostle Paul, as you look at this, he, he was so content in Jesus, he said, I've had it all and I've had nothing. Now, some of us in this room have been there, we've had it all, and we've had nothing. Can you be content? The same, have the same contentment with nothing as you do with when you have it all? In reality, yes, we can, but in reality, how often do we have are we content when we have less than we used to have? We get so caught up in, man, I need to make it back. I need to get more stuff. But understand that no matter what we have, we can be content. Because our contentment doesn't come through our things. Our contentment should always come through Jesus and what he's done for us. Yeah, Paul goes on saying, you know, these profound things about... He's talking to the Philippian church who's brought him stuff while in a Roman prison while writing this, and he tells them that he doesn't have a need. I don't have a need. Thank you. I'm good for that. Now, also think about that. He's in a Roman prison talking about being content. How many of y'all would be content if you were in jail? Now, he's in a Roman prison. Ain't nothing like prison today. It ain't three squares a day like they get nowadays. It ain't three squares of bed and TV and air condition. Roman prison was generally in caves underground. Dark and nasty. Roman guards didn't play around. But in here he's telling people, I am content. I'm content with what I have. I'm content. I appreciate what you're trying to bring me, but I'm not in need at this time. So he doesn't find himself out of bread. He doesn't find himself lacking a roof over his head. He basically says in any situation, I'm fine. I'm good. Philippians 4.12, he says this, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot, In all and in all, any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance, or need. So think about it. He's been hungry and he's had excess. How many people in here have ever been hungry but have also had excess? I remember being hungry when I was in the military because they had lousy food. And I had no money. So I had to either eat lousy food or go without. I, I, I remember being hungry at different times throughout my life. I remember having abundance throughout my life. And it is, I want to let you know, it's a whole lot easier to be content when you have abundance, because you got everything. Of course, there's never enough, you want more, so you're really not totally content, but you're kind of content. But man, it's hard to be content when you're hungry. It's hard to be content when you don't have the basic needs in your life. And, And then what do we do? We struggle to try and get more. And that getting more continues to try and get more and more and more. And we find out that we never actually have that contentment inside of us. You know, as we look back, you know, you look at at Tim Tebow and you look at the scripture. Philippians 4.13. You look at the Apostle Paul. You want to know what their strength was, why they were able to do what they did? Because they're able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Remember last week we talked about what contentment means in the Greek, the the uh, RKO, you know, what what is it? What is this contentment? And we talked about this strength that comes from it. When you look at that word RKO, it's more than contentment. It's about this inner strength. That inner strength that they had comes from, through this right here. It comes through having the strength from Him. It it, it comes from knowing that our unfailing source and our unfailing strength comes from above. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from anything we have. It doesn't come from anything we've accomplished where all of them are great things. Ultimately, it comes from God. And and we need to recognize that because too many times we'll accomplish something Be like, man, look what I did. I did this all on my own. Man, just watch a football game. Watch any type of sport whatsoever, and you see that it's all about me mentality all the time. You see it in the world today. I made this. I built this company. No, you didn't. God gave you the strength, and he gave you people to do it. But we'll get so caught up on everything else, and and. Understand that that unfailing strength comes from the Lord. That contentment can only come from Him. God enabled Paul to be strong enough when he faced when he was faced with nothing, and even when he was faced with everything, to be content in what the Lord provided him, to be happy with what he had, to be able to go forward. And in every and each situation, We can have that same strength. We can have that same strength because of our relationship with Jesus. In Philippians 4 verses 19 through 20, Paul actually recognized and said this. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This praise of Paul is a promise to each of us. Our God will supply all of our needs. He will supply everything we need to get through every situation. God will supply our needs. Think about your own life. How many times has God provided you with that provision that you needed, right when you needed it? Yeah, you know, I was reading, I was reading a story and the, of a man he was looking at his family and and he kind of, you know, God told him to switch jobs. And he switched jobs and things were going well. He was making less money than he was before. And, and times got a little rough. So he came home from work and, and he went upstairs and got on his knees in the bedroom and was praying. Praying, God, God, this is what I need. This is what I need for my family. This is what I need. And, and he was up there for a while in prayer. And when he came downstairs, his wife handed him a $100 Visa gift card. He's like, where'd this come from? And she said, well, while you were upstairs praying, there was a knock on the door. I answered the door and there was no one there. But this $100 Visa gift card was sitting there. And it's exactly what the man was praying for upstairs. He needed exactly $100. Don't know where it came from, but a $100 Visa gift card showed up on his front doorstep. Think about your own life. How many times has that hundred dollar gift card showed up in your life just when you needed it? And it may not have been a gift card, but it was something right when you needed it, God provided it in your life. And, and you sit there and you you can only say but God. The only way this could have happened is if God would have intervened and gave me exactly what I needed because no one else knew what I needed. I just happened to be praying about it and boom, there it is. Now it doesn't make him a vending machine, he just says, hey, I know what you need, and he's going to provide for your need. That need may require you to get off your knees sometimes and go do something, because if you think you're just going to sit on the couch and say, well, I need a job, and you don't go looking for a job, you ain't going to get a job, because that need still requires action. You still got to get up, you still got to go do something, and it requires you to move in order to see the provision you got to keep going. But so many times we'll get stuck in that fear and and we become so discontent in our lives that we sit there and we just woes me instead of doing what God calls us to do. He will supply all your needs, but you got to do some work. It requires you to get up. It requires you to move. It requires you to say, hey, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Well, I can do it because I'm moving. I'm not sitting in a recliner. I'm not saying, I'm waiting on the Lord. What are you waiting on him to do? Put your recliner legs down and make you stand up and move? It requires movement. It requires action. Faith is an action. It's something that we have to do. We have to be moving at all times and understand that he will provide for us, whether we're in need or not in need. You look back at the Apostle Paul. He had a regular job. He was a tent maker. So at time of need, guess what he did? He went to work. He went and made tents. He did something. Yes, they were supplying for him, but there were times that he was in need that he actually had to go and do stuff. But he never stopped preaching the gospel. He never stopped telling people about Jesus. He was content whether he had a lot or had a little. He continued to move forward, and we need to do the same thing. Are you doing all you can do for Jesus? Or are you chasing what the world calls you to chase? Are you chasing contentment in things? Are you chasing contentment in a career? Are you chasing your contentment in stuff that is going to vanish and go away? Our contentment needs to come through Christ. Now, yes, there is nothing wrong with having a good job. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with having the latest C-class of a Mercedes or this, that, and anything else, as long as you're seeking it and you thank him for that provision. And then that you're giving it back, that, that you're glorifying him with what you do. You're not just doing it to keep up with the Joneses. You're not just doing it to keep up with your neighbors, but you're doing it as a way to glorify Him, and He has provided us, because He's provided each one of us with a talent. He's provided each one of us with a different lifestyle to live. But make sure you're living your lifestyle content. Be content with what you have. Be content with what He provides you. There's nothing wrong with striving for more. Absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. But don't let the drive for more be what drives your life. That drive should be from Jesus inside of you. That that drive should be to glorify him and thanking him for him giving you more and more and more opportunities to work and do his work but we need to be able to be content in him, not in things. Think about Tim Tebow. His, his college, his career looked like it ended after college. It probably hit him like, you know, my, my dream was to play professional football, and it, it's gone. Less than 1% of everyone who plays rec league sport make it to the, make it to the professional level. Think about that. Less than 1%. But how many kids out there on the basketball court, on the football field, baseball field, what are you going to do? I'm going to be a professional football player. Okay. Less than 1%. So you look at everyone on that team, less than 1% of them is going to make it into the NFL. Maybe 5% is even going to make it to college. So what are you going to do after high school when you don't make it even to play college ball? It's that reality. And unfortunately, there's way too many people that they will place their hope and dream on something, and then when it fails, they think their life is over. They become discontent with their life, and they allow this fear to take over. And, and you think about Tim Tebow. His, his career wasn't over. Many of us have read his books. I think it's interesting. There's actually a rule in college football uh, that, you know, we call it the Tim Tebow rule. Of course, college, the NCAA doesn't call it that. But there's actually a rule that now on that black underneath their eyes, they can't have any names, logos, scripture, anything. They can put nothing under their eyes. Now, it's interesting because I think they may have changed the rule because I was watching the game last night and the linebacker for LSU had something written all the way across his face. So they may have changed it, but but it's interesting that they made this rule right after Tim Tebow started putting scripture on his face so they could no longer do it. So you want to talk about the impact he had? Here's another one. In the 2009 National Championship game, 90 million people, 90 million people Googled, John 3.16. He had John 3.16 under his eyes. 90 million people Googled it. Think about the impact he had. Yes, I, I I didn't get to play professional football. I played for a little bit and my life didn't go as I wanted, but man, 90 million people because of what he had written under his eyes Googled John 3.16. They Googled a Bible verse to see what it was. So you want to talk about impact? How much impact does he, and still to this day, have on people's lives? He may not have reached his dream. The Apostle Paul probably never reached his dream, but we wouldn't be sitting here talking about the book of Philippians today if the Apostle Paul didn't write it. Most of the New Testament the Apostle Paul wrote, so we wouldn't even have these conversations if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. People wouldn't know about Jesus if Tim Tebow didn't put John 3.16 under it, because Think of 90 million people. Now, anyone who's a Christian, ain't, we're not gonna look up John 3.16, because we know what it is. 90 million people look up a Bible verse simply by the written under someone's eyes. What are you doing to impact the world? What are you doing to impact your world? What are you doing to impact your environment? Think about just the people around you. Are you doing anything good to impact them around you? Notice I said anything good. Because we can impact our environment in all kinds of ways. And most of us can impact an environment very negatively, very easily. You know, because we're Christians. And you might be saying, wait, we're Christians. How are we going to affect it negatively? Because we're going to be judgy. We're going to judge people. Oh, I can't believe they're doing that. You see the way she was dressed? Mm Mm-hmm. You you know what he was doing last night, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we're going to be judgy. How about showing the love of Christ to people? How about being who Jesus called us to be and actually loving people and knowing that we can be content in him? Don't allow fear to get you discontent. Don't allow fear to stop you from doing what you should be doing for him. And, and, and if fear is stopping you, you need to go back and watch our last series, Haunted House, because we spent four weeks talking about fear, so we should never let fear cause us to be discontent, because that's exactly what fear will do. Fear can cause you to be discontent, and di- as, as I said at the beginning, discontentment can often arise out of fear, but that antidote of Antidote of fear is knowing that God will supply everything we need. But then we got to believe that. we got to believe that God will supply everything we need. So I want to encourage you as a church, actually living that out, <coughs> knowing that God will supply your needs. He will supply it all. We just have to believe that. We have to believe it. We have to act on it. We have to move forward knowing that, hey, he is my provider. He's my provider. He is the one who's going to be there for me thick and thin. And no matter what I have or don't have in life, I need to be content. Because our contentment comes from him not from the stuff we have in this world. That's where our contentment comes from. And I want to encourage you, if you're saying, Pastor, I can't have contentment in Him because I don't know Him, well, that's okay. Because you can lock that down today and get to know Him and ask Him to be the Lord of your life and and to start serving Him and, and, and to be able to get that strength to do all things through Him. If you're sitting there saying, well, Pastor, you just don't know. You don't know my situation. And, and I, I'm that one you were talking about. Do you see what they were doing? What? Yeah, that's okay. He'll accept you just the way you are, He will accept you just as you are. God's word says, for all, we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. So you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Hey, we're all sinners together. All right? But yet God showed his love for us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he died for you and your sins. Not only the sins you've already done, but the sins you're currently doing and the sins you're going to do in the future. But here's the key. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's where it starts. Now, I will tell you, that's probably the easiest part, saying, hey, Lord, come and and rule over my life. Be be my Savior. That's the easy part. See, the hard part comes having that trust in Him. That hard part comes with that sanctification and becoming more like Him. Because we kind of like our old self. We like the things we did. We like the who we hung out with. And sometimes when you accept Jesus, it requires you to change. You, you got to change what you may be doing. You got to change maybe some of your friends. Because they're going to be the same ones. When you leave here, hey, if you were at the bar last night drinking with people, guess what? Them same people going to be at the bar tonight. The difference should be you. Them same people you were shooting up with yesterday are going to be the same ones shooting up today. The difference is going to be you. Once you accept Jesus be your Lord and Savior, that's when that change starts. But it requires work. It requires you to be content in Him and all that He does for you. And maybe you're sitting here today saying, Pastor, man, I don't know about this whole contentment stuff. I'm content with what I have. I'm content with what I want. I'm content with the things I still got to go get. And, and, you know, I I just, I got to do this. I'm sorry, Pastor, but I can't be content until I got more. The world says he who has the most toys wins. I'm still trying to win. Learn how to be content in him. Whether you have a lot, Whether you have a little, be content in Him. Seek Him for all that you do. Don't worry about what your neighbor has. Don't worry about what the people down the street have. Worry about what you have in Him, because that's what's going to make a difference. He will make that difference in your life. We just have to be content. Take that inner strength from him and live your life each and every day. Amen. During this final song, if you haven't accepted Jesus, you can come up here and we'll we'll lock it down today or maybe you just need to come up here and and take some time at the altar and and pray that God will show you how to be content. Have him open up your eyes to, to see where you're focused compared to where he wants you focused whatever it may be. But Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and Lord, we, sometimes we, we, we think we're settling when we don't get what we want. Well, Lord, uh, we should never settle in contentment because our contentment comes from you. So it's not about settling, it's about living where you call us to live. It's about doing what you call us to do. It's about being who you truly want us to be. And, Lord, that we can find that contentment and be content in all situations because of you in our life. So, Lord, if there's anyone here who's struggling with with being content or they got this fear and this fear uh, of I can't do this or I can't do that or uh, whatever it is, Lord, and it's getting them all discontent and anxious up inside. Lord, I ask that you touch their heart. Remove that anxiety and help them to be content in you. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, whether they're here in this room or join us for church online, that, that they understand that today is the day of salvation. And Lord, that they will come and start a relationship with you today so they can truly say, that they have strength through you. And Lord, I just ask that you keep me focused at the same time. Lord, that I will also be content in you. Just as I ask others, that I will do it also. And Lord, make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Ever alone you're a good good father to you are to you are to you I, I. And I'm loved